So resilient disciples of Jesus, we've been looking at meaningful relationships. And resilient disciples of Christ, they cultivate meaningful relationships with other followers of Jesus that they desire to be around and become like themselves. And maintaining those relationships requires all of us, all of us to deal with some of our beneath the surface issues. If we don't, the very relationships God brings to us, we end up pushing them away because of our unhealth. And so we have a church oftentimes that can quote the word. So we have spiritual maturity over here, but we're very emotionally immature over here. And we, sometimes we disconnect those things. Like being mature in Christ means how much I can quote. When it's not how much you can quote, it's how much you've applied to your life, including what it is that you can quote. So we've defined spiritual maturity by disconnecting it from emotional maturity, and we want to reconnect those things. And we want to reconnect them. Uh, the Bible has an illustration when we're new to faith, it says that we get the milk of God's word. So it's just easier to digest. And then as we grow in spiritual maturity, we can handle the meat of God's word, which just takes a little bit more to chew and a little bit more to digest. Well, I want you to know that today's story has Easter foreshadowed all over it, but it's more meat than it is milk. Okay, it's just a little bit more robust. We don't have all the time to go through the nuances, but it's an important story for us to wrestle with. Our most meaningful relationship is with Jesus, and this too is a relationship that will be tested. In life, including following Jesus, there are mountaintop and there are valley seasons. And whether it is Saul or Joseph or David or today, Abraham, each of us is loved by God and from love, everyone say from love. We are loved by God and from love, we will go through seasons of testing. Now here is what is significant. What most often signals a change in season, and how many of you are ready for spring? Can I see your hands, please? We are now in the season, however, of if it snows, it is God's job to take care of it. He can melt it. I'm not shoveling it anymore. It's God's job. He can melt it. That's the season we're in right now. But what often most signifies or signals a change in season is an invitation from God for you to lay something specific down. It is a test in the present that if you and I are obedient to it, by laying something specific down, we are developing a future, in, uh, we're developing space for a future entrustment which we can only properly steward by a deeper trust walk with Jesus. Now God can use all things. He can redeem anything. And so even our mistakes, our shortcomings, the silly things we do to the most outrageously dumb things that we do, God can redeem and he can use all things. So not everything that is hard is a divine test. We can create hard for ourselves by ourselves. So not everything that you're like, man, why am I going through this? Well, sometimes you gotta look to you as to why you're going through that. And sometimes you're going through it because of other things that are happening in your life that you have no control over. God can use all of it, but there are these specific moments of testing. We just sang, worthy is your name, Jesus. 
You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. His name is the name above every other name. But sometimes you and I have other names in a greater priority and place than his name. And we need to go through seasons of testing to understand that, for that to be revealed. And so while God can use all things, his tests have a consistent theme. God's tests are always about trust. In whom have we placed our trust? In what have we placed our trust? When you trust in something that is inferior to his name, when it is touched, how do you respond? This is the testing. These are unique tests from God. And they are in love and from love for us to discover a deeper trust walk with Christ. Abraham was called by God to leave his home to a place that God would show him. Pause. If Abraham is anything like us, which he is because he's a human being, we want that reversed. We want God to show us the place first that we need to go, and then we'll leave our home to head towards there. God, show me where I'm going, and then I'll have confidence to leave. But Abraham is a man of faith, and he tells him to go to a place that he would show him. Here's the journey. Abraham, get your eyes onto me, and if you keep your eyes onto me, I'll get you where it is that I'm leading you, but if you look ahead only to where it is that you want or where it is you're leading, if you get your eyes off me, you're gonna wander and get lost. Get your eyes on me, and then I'm gonna lead you. It's the same way with all of us. Along the way, advanced in years, he is promised a son. Abraham and, of course, his wife Sarah are promised a son. God selects a man with no children and a woman who is barren to become the father of many nations. Loved ones, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But here's what I want you to know. Just in that sentence, if you have known the pain of barrenness, if you have known that there is nothing that you can do to cause or create a miracle in your life, you know the place of dependence on God. And Abraham is in this place of absolute dependence. He's known nothing but barrenness. Him and Sarah have known nothing but barrenness. And then comes a promise. And Abraham and Sarah, in between the promise and the fulfillment, take it into their own hands and they try to fulfill the promise on their own. And they create a bit of a mess. But guess what? God is always working in the mess of humanity. God doesn't need help in fulfilling his promises. What he needs is obedience. And this is the journey that they're on. After a time with Isaac, they conceive and Sarah gives birth to Isaac, the son of promise. Once they've had the promise for a while, they arrive at the place of testing. I heard a preacher this week say something quite profound. And they said, they, they, they explained it this way and they simply said, that when you and I have unanswered prayers, we're very, very focused on God. 
But the real place of testing isn't in unanswered prayer. It's when God gives us or grants us our prayer. Do we have the same focus and intention on God? And they likened it to Peter. When Peter was in the boat and he called out to Jesus and said like, hey, like, call me out to come on the water. It's essentially a prayer request that he's throwing to Jesus. He was absolutely fine with the request looking right at Jesus. But the moment he was granted his request, he took his eyes off of Jesus and then began to sink. It is not just a metaphor, it's what happens in all of our stories. And we don't know if this is what's happening, but we can infer that God is testing Abraham and Sarah once again. Keep your eyes on me and not just on the promise. Loved ones, you can become equally distracted in life by the sin and iniquity of our lives by looking only at it, but you can also become lost in life looking exclusively at the blessings of God, but not God himself. Those things can take greater priority in our hearts and lives. After these things, God tested Abraham, Genesis 22, verses one to two. God tested Abraham. How do you know it's a season of testing? It says it right there. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. By the way, I told you, Easter is all over this story. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The dark night of the soul is a season, it's a time of testing. You know, oftentimes when we talk about tests, you and I are more familiar with tests and exams that are designed to surface what we know and what we don't know. And then what we know and what we don't know, either by the lecture that we were in or the book that we have read, When we go through the time of testing, what it does is it gives feedback to the instructor in terms of gives them understanding what we understood in the class, how we applied ourselves in the class. When we think of testing, we think of this model. This model is inadequate to talk about God's test because here's why. God doesn't need anything from you. He knows you. He knows your beginning to your end. There is never a moment in your life where God does not know anything about you your life. He needs no feedback. He is all-knowing. So if God is giving a test, it is not for God's information. It is for your revelation. It is for you and I to know something that is significantly occurring in our life that had we not gone through the test, we would not know. This is what is occurring in the life of Abraham and occurs in our lives. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, blessed is the man, blessed is the one who remains steadfast. Everyone say steadfast. Who remains faithful, line upon line, left foot, right foot, just line upon line. Who remains steadfast under trial, under testing. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In the same book, it says that actual testing is what produces steadfastness in our following Jesus. First Peter describes it this way, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. How many of you like tests? Can I see your hands, please? No one likes them. No one likes them because they're difficult, because they reveal things in our lives sometimes that we would rather not look at. But it says, this is is what I love, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness, 
Let me ask you another question. How many of you like fake hypocritical people? Can I see your hands, please? Nobody. <laughs> One kid at the back is like, yep. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> they haven't met a fake hypocritical person yet. They're coming though. What does the scripture say? It says that we go through periods of testing so that there can be genuineness to our faith. So that we wouldn't just be name it and claim it people, that we would be people who are surrendered, obedient, who live it. That it would be genuine. That when you kind of flick us like a crystal glass, it would ring true. This is the purpose of testing. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, Abraham's trust in God is being tested. His faith has been incredibly strong. When the Lord comes and says, I go to a land that I'm going to show you, and he goes, it is remarkably strong. But it's also seen some struggle, again, just like you and I, that when he's waiting for the promise, he tries to fulfill it in his own strength rather than fully trusting God. So strong and struggle. One of the things that I love so much about God's word, and that if I ever write an autobiography, I don't know if I'll be brave enough, but one of the things I love about God's word is it puts people's lives and it puts their whole life in there, good, bad, and ugly, to give us hope, to give us courage. It's one of the things I admire the most that we can learn from men and women who have followed God in different seasons of life. So Abraham, Genesis 22, keep reading, rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, Easter all over this story, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, hmm, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. Watch what Abraham says. I and the boy will go over there, worship, and come back to you. Abraham in Hebrews is known as a man of faith. And here you see a glimpse of his faith. What does he say in Genesis chapter 22? He says, I and the boy, directly translated, I and the boy are going to go over there and worship, and I and the boy are coming back to you. Faith. When God has said to him, I want you to lay down your son. When you know the pain of barrenness, and you know that you can do nothing to create on your own this son of promise. When you know the pain of what isn't, you have a deeper trust in who is. If he would have taken anybody else who just in their own natural way had a son, this, this is a different story. Now I want to pause here. I said a few moments ago at the beginning, this is not a milk story. This is a meat story. It's got some complexity to it. It's got some wrestling to it. Like, why would God do this? It's a foreshadowing maybe of another story. It is designed to surface things in Abraham's life. It is a story about ultimate trust in a heavenly father who is perfect. So they went, both of them together, Verse nine, when they came to the place which God had told to him, Abraham there, I built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And now Abraham knows he's fully surrendered. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt sacrifice, or a burnt offering, excuse me, instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, here's what he called the place, ready? The Lord will provide. Has anybody here ever experienced God's provision? Jireh, you are enough. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord. Do you know where we get the revelation that God is Jireh? Right here. On the other side of Abraham's faithfulness, his faithfulness to surrender and walk out the will of his heavenly father reveals a whole character of who God is. On the other side of testing, Abraham learns this New name for God in the crucible, in the time of testing, in the dark night of the soul. A name revealed not only Jehovah Jireh for Abraham, but for Isaac and Jacob. And then Jacob becomes Israel, and Israel is the chosen people of God, a nation of God who then leads up to Jesus. And then in Christ, we see that you and I do not replace, but we are grafted in that it is not only Jewish, but now it includes Gentiles, and it is all people who then know God is enough. He is provider. It is this place of revelation that you and I experience, that Hebrews gives us insight into the faith of Abraham. And why do I kind of do the Abraham, the Isaac, and the Jacob? I do it to be able to say this, that there are some of you, you're not the hero of the story, I'm not the hero of the story, Jesus is the hero of the story. So wherever we fail, he is absolutely faithful. He is perfect, I'm not touching that at all. But what I am saying is your obedience matters. You passing tests matter because there's a way that you and I can tell what Jesus has done. We can testify to the good things and the bad things. We can testify to the faithfulness of God that can impact other generations and future generations to come. Can you imagine Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob telling the story of God is provider, not from a theology buoy, but when you are the one on the altar, he's provider. Isaac would tell this story in a way that nobody else could. He would also never go camping with his father again. <laughs> At least I wouldn't. <laughs> and we're done. But he would tell the story from a place of pain, but he would also tell it with a greater sense of provision. The same thing with Abraham. We could not bear any kids in a place of pain to a place of provision. But as good as the good things are, they're not God, and sometimes there are tests. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19 says, by faith, everyone say, by faith. Yes. 
Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God, Abraham did, was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. I am baffled, as I said again a few moments ago, your most meaningful relationship is your relationship with Jesus because your relationship with Jesus includes you fully, but it's not only about you. It is about others as well. And I'm actually gobsmacked as we've gone through this season together of meaningful relationships this last month that when we're looking at Abraham's name, Abraham's story, excuse me, he experiences knowing God in such a way that the promise isn't taken from him, but the promise is properly prioritized. The promise doesn't replace God's presence. God's presence and who God is is greater than the promise. Though the promise is significant, it isn't God. God gives the promise. It is the same thing with David, and it's the same thing with Joseph. After David blows it, absolutely profoundly blows it, Psalm 84, you see, David is a king. He lives in the palace. But his cry when he blows it is not this. Don't take the palace from me. His cry is, Lord, don't take your presence from me. Take the palace. It means nothing. You can take all these things. I cannot be king, but as long as you are with me. Don't take your presence from me because if your presence is from me, the palace and all of its comforts are meaningless. It is the same thing with Joseph. When you've gone through betrayal from your family, found yourself in slavery in a pit, then in a prison wrongly accused, when you are in the place of the palace, it's not as sticky because you know from whence you've come, your eyes are not on the palace, they are on the presence, the person of God. Your eyes are here so God can lead me from here to here to here. It's not in the place, it's in the person. It's in God. And Moses... Same thing on the way to the promised land. What does Moses say? Even if we get to the land of promise, if you're not there, the place doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money I make. doesn't matter what my marriage looks like. doesn't matter all the good things in life. If you are not with me, this isn't what it's about. Now contrast that with the one other story that we told in Meaningful Relationships, and it's the story of Saul. And the story of Saul of one who never let his pride lower and never let the person of God be greater. These are tests that God brings, not just to Old Testament lives, to all of our lives, to reveal what it is that we really trust. Some of you do not yet trust God with your salvation, you believe that you're your own God because you're, you know, you're good and you're not like, you're better than, you're not like terrible people. I'm like a pretty good person. So your faith is in you. That's a very dangerous place to be, biblically speaking, because you may be good, but you're not God. Your sacrifice is imperfect compared to his. And there are some of you that do not trust in God's salvation for your life because you trust too much in your own story. 
You trust too much in your own knowledge, your own wisdom, your own intellect, your own compassion, your own emotions. If you think that this world is progressing, wake up. It is the same as it's always been because underneath all the technology is the same human heart that is equally beautiful but also profoundly broken that we can't fix ourselves. But there are others of you who are Christ followers and you have trusted God with your salvation to Jesus be the glory. But here's the challenge. You've trusted Jesus with your salvation but maybe not with your story. There are other parts of your life. There are parts where, again, that are sort of off limits that you're holding on to place or you're holding on to palace or you're holding on to promise greater than God. And from love, God is going to touch those things. Why? Because they can't sustain everything that you need. Only your heavenly Father can. How many of you know that you can get a job and you can lose a job based on you doing absolutely nothing wrong. But here's what I want you to know, loved ones. You can get a job and you can lose a job and it can rock your faith, but when your faith is rocked, Jaira, you are enough. There is a faith that is greater than the circumstance. It doesn't discount the circumstance. The circumstance stinks. And I wish you never had to walk through it. But if you got to go through it, why not learn something greater about who God is? And maybe why don't you learn something about your own heart as well, where it could actually reside deeper or greater in who God is? All of us begin following Jesus and we desire him to make a Jesus-sized difference, to use our lives to make a Jesus-sized difference. And then we hit a wall, a season of testing, a defining and a crucible moment where God is inviting us deeper and it's difficult. And in this place of testing, here's what I want you to know. In the place of testing, God may ask you to specifically lay something down. It might be an offense It might be financial. It could be a job. It could be a relationship. It's just unhealthy. They're not a terrible person. It's not about, but it's just unhealthy. Their influence is unhealthy for you. Just, just lay it down. He, he may speak to you about your hobby. Oh, listen. He may speak to you about your wardrobe. Say, so be careful. Care, easy. Careful. When there's nothing off limits to God, there's nothing off limits to God. And if he touches it, it's not because he doesn't love you, it's because he loves you so very much. I remember every single time my children would get into the car and they would, you know, when they were little, Lori would take them up to their Nana and Papa's like trailer every summer and I would always go out and anoint the car. I'd look up to God and I would say, Lord, I just want to remind you, they're mine. <laughs> but the truth is, they're not mine. I just steward. They're his kids. But I would always have this thing with God, like God, just so you know, it's, that would be too much. Just so we're clear. And then as a parent, I'd walk 
As a pastor, I've, I've walked with parents who've lost kids. My nightmare. Jaira, you are enough. I'm not saying God took them. I don't believe it for a minute. Life is cruelly unfair. God is good in the midst of what's hard. When you go through a season of testing, you know what you discover? You discover how strong God has a hold on you. Some of you, the way you talk about salvation, it's though God has the weakest grip in the world. And I want you to know that God's grip of grace is greater <laughs> than you and I sometimes give it credit for. It's strong. But you know what is equally strong? Sometimes when I go through seasons of testing, you know what I, describe, you know what I, I, I find? Not only how strong God has me, but also how strongly I'm holding on to other things. And it's often that which we are strongly holding on to, like Abraham, we need to have the courage to lay it down. So when you leave today, if it would be meaningful you, for you as we move into the season of Easter, we have paper available for you. And the person beside you and go like, wow. This is special paper though. Here's what you do. This week, I want you to ask the Lord this question in prayer. Lord, is there anything specifically that you're asking me to lay down? If you have no, nothing, don't, and don't you go digging for it. Let the Lord reveal it. Lord, is there anything that you'd have me lay down? If there's something that he invites you to lay down, here's what you do. I want you to get a little cup of water. I want you to write specifically on that paper what it is that you're gonna lay down. And then I want you to pray. And I want you to take that little piece of paper and I want you to place it into the water. And as you do, you know what's gonna happen? The paper and what is written on it is just gonna dissolve. And all you're gonna have left is water. And it's going to be a moment of trust, of release. Like if you just use your regular paper, you're just gonna make a mess. If you use our little paper, it's gonna dissolve neat for you. But it's gonna be a moment, if that would be significant for you, as we lead towards Palm Sunday. Now, as I said a few times, so that's when you walk, there's paper. If you want it, you can do that. So why did we specifically share this meaty message this Sunday? Well, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday begins Holy Week. And the story that we just told has Easter elements all over it. God would not allow a finger, a hand to be laid upon Isaac because Isaac was Abraham's son of promise. Yet when it comes to Jesus to atone for our sin, 
to cleanse us from our all in all of our iniquity there would be no staying the knife no ram in the thicket why because jesus is our passover lamb john said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world i would say it this way where father abraham was spared god the father will not be spared once again the gospel is not the story of us doing what god alone can do in gethsemane we see the son praying in his moment of profound testing asking his father if there would be any other way to which his father says from love there is no other cup there is no other way jesus endures so that you and i when we go through the dark night of the soul when we go through times of testing our response it matters but it is not matter as much as the faithful finished work of jesus because if you go through a test beautifully to god be the glory if you fail it miserably there is mercy and there is grace the gospel again is not our perfection in how we go through it is the perfection of christ in us it is how Jesus went through that gives us faith and confidence. In other words, what I'm saying is whatever God is asking you to lay it down, you can lay it down because Jesus laid down, but he also got back up. The message of the story of the Easter season includes the finished work of the cross, but it also is profoundly the empty tomb and the waiting in between. And so for me and for you, what is it that God is asking you to lay down? I promise you this. Whatever God is asking you to lay down, it is for you to make room for God to be greater in that space because there is a season ahead that you cannot see that your deepening walk of God is contingent upon what he's going to ask you to steward is greater and it needs more room right now so you got to give it up let God fill that space for what it is that God desires to do let's pray heavenly father we don't understand all the difficulties in this life and even how your providential will intersects with our personal one we don't understand lots there's plenty we don't but father when we look to the cross the one thing that we anchor into is it is never that you don't love us it is never that you are disconnected from us it is always that you are only and only willing to do what we alone can't do so our faith is not in our perfection it is in you it is in your perfect sacrifice but lord as we go through this season of testing if there's something specific that you're asking us to lay down father i pray that you'd speak to our hearts and give us the courage, God, like Abraham and Isaac and 
David and Joseph and Esther and Peter. Give us the courage to be followers of you like that and may we not be Samson's and Saul's. Unwilling to lay down what it is that you're asking us to do. Lord, if something is a church that you're touching, give us the courage to lay it down, even if it's costly, because you are a far greater prize.